We're looking at identity in history and you'll see behind me an outline of where we're going. We're going to think about a sticky past, firstly. Secondly, we're going to think about a new past. Thirdly, we're going to think about a transformed past. And fourthly, we're going to think about what it is to be transformed in the present. Because the reality is we all have a past and the past is something that we can't escape. And if this is true for anybody, it's especially true for the children and the grandchildren and the family of leading Nazis. How did they come to grips with the monstrous acts of evil and the legacy that their fathers had given? One author who's written a bit about this says that the descendants of Nazi war criminals are often caught between two extremes. Most decide to cut themselves off entirely from their parents, she says, so that their story doesn't destroy them. The other alternative, she says, is that they decide on loyalty, unconditional love, and sweep all the negative things away. And you can see this most clearly in the family of Hermann Goering. Uh, he's behind us here. That's who Goering is. He was one of the most powerful Nazis. He was the head of the German Air Force and he was seen as a natural successor to Hitler. Now, Goering only had one daughter, one child, Edda, who you can see in the picture. Goering loved Edda. And he doted on her, he'd give her extravagant gifts, he even gave her a 50 metre long model of a palace. But as Edda grew up after her father's execution in 1945, she never believed her father's guilt. In fact, after the war, she would host Nazi social events and she remained supportive of her, fa of her father until her death in 2018. The past was sticky for Edna and she couldn't see her father as anything else other than someone to be loved and adored. But in contrast, to Edna is Bettina Goering, who was the great-grandniece of Hitler. She felt like she needed to take drastic action to deal with her family's legacy. She was disturbed by her own likeness to her great-uncle. And so what she did around 30 years ago is she left Germany and she now lives in a remote home in New Mexico in the USA. Both she and her brother decided to be sterilised. She said, we both did it so that there won't be any more Goerings. When my brother had done it, he said to me, I cut the line. The past is sticky. We all have a past. And there are two very interesting examples and quite different examples of how people deal with their past. Some embrace it, some reject it. Our past remains. And we go through, in small version, this every day. Um, we think about the choices that we've made, the experiences of our life, the words that bounce around inside our minds. All those recollections that we have of our past are not just disconnected moments, but what they do is they form a story that makes sense of all that we have experienced. 
And sometimes what we've experienced is a story that we are embarrassed by. A story that we develop that we're ashamed of. Tragedy, divorce and loss are not merely in the past. We carry that past with us. And sometimes what we do, and sometimes at the same time, we are boastful of our histories. We're proud of them, all that we've achieved, all that our family have achieved. This is one of the reasons that uh, people these days are very much interested in genealogy. One of the most uh, busy places in a local library is the genealogy, genealogy section because people are interested with who they are in the who their family have been and so who they are now. Our histories, like all aspects of our identity, can both enable or, dis or disable our identity, taking our identity from Christ. So it's important firstly to remember that our past is sticky, but secondly, we need to remember as Christians that we have a new past. You see, what do we do with our past as Christian people? What, what do we do if it can lead to boasting? What do we do if our past is such a crushing shame for us? Well, here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that when we trust in the Lord Jesus, we adopt someone else's story to be determinative of our own. Our true history is the history of the Lord Jesus that we are grafted into. We are joined with the Lord Jesus and his history becomes the final word on our history. To become a Christian is to have the author of life, God himself, rewrite our own story. An autobiographical revision has occurred when we trust in the Lord Jesus and we place ourselves in his story rather than us writing our own story or our past writing our own story. And this may seem strange, but this is exactly what Paul was getting at when he wrote in Colossians chapter 3 from our first reading. Have a look there in Colossians chapter 3. He says there in verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Paul here is closing a loop that he started back in chapter 2, where he says in chapter 2, verse 20, if you have died with Christ. Paul's saying, so if you have died with Christ, and now here in chapter 3, if you have been raised with Christ. Here what Paul is doing is taking that Christ of history, what might seem like this distant figure 2,000 years ago, and he's not keeping him at arm's length. Now, the Apostle Paul is saying for the Christian, the Lord Jesus has come into our life. He has come into our life such that we have been raised with Christ. Christ here is not merely an example that we're to try and be like, although that is true. Christ here is not even a representative acting on our behalf, although that is true. Here in Colossians chapter 3, Christ is a mirror. It's a mirror, Christ is a mirror to our identity, who we are. Who are you? Well, you're someone who has died with Christ, 
Who are you? You're someone who has been raised with Christ. You participate with Christ. You are not a mere spectator, Paul is saying here in Colossians chapter 3. You're not a mere spectator. You're a player with Christ in his death and resurrection. And he goes on there in verse 3 to say, For you died, which means that you've been liberated from the forces of evil that have held you down. And now verse 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You died. So what's left behind? Well, Paul says your new life, your life in Christ is now what is left. It's your life, but it's now so bound up with Christ that it's hard to see your life without seeing Christ's life. Your life is hidden with Christ, Paul is saying. He's saying it's buried with Christ, it's connected with Christ, it's clothed with him so that you cannot be you without him. Your life is hidden with Christ. This is incredible what the Apostle is saying and it means, it means a lot of things, but it means at least three things. Firstly, when it says that your life is hidden with Christ, it means that you have an incredible security for the future. He'll go on there in verse 4 to say, When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. You have a security for the future. But it's more than that. Secondly, when it says that you, your life is hidden with Christ, it's not just the sense of security that you have with your future. No, it, gives, it means that you have a container. What do I mean by that? Well, back in chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says that all the treasure and wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. So there is no mystery as to what you might be in the future. No false teacher can come and try and portray a picture of you, of who you are now or who you will be in the future. What you are now in Christ is enough. To be hidden in Christ is to know that Christ is your container. He is sufficient. The sufficiency of Christ cannot be challenged. And to seek for treasures elsewhere is to betray the true gospel. Thirdly, to be hidden in Christ means that your true identity is to be, is in fact obscured. In Romans chapter 2, verse 28 to 29, the same word Paul uses um, as hidden there. He speaks in chapter 2 of Romans as someone uh, is a Jew who is one inwardly. See, what Paul is saying there back in Romans is what a person is, who a person is, is not obvious. So to be hidden with Christ means that your true identity is often obscured to others. That's in fact the problem that Paul is dealing with here in Colossians, that these false teachers have come into the church and they want to reduce the Christian faith merely to the number of rituals or um, practices that you participate in, these external identity markers. But Paul says, no, who you are is hidden with Christ. It's not obvious, but it is obvious to Christ. The Colossian 
believers are called to identify themselves not by their rituals, but simply by the relationship to Jesus. So to be hidden in Christ means that you have a secure future. It means that you have all that you need. It gives you a secure container. And it means, though, that the reality of who you are is not obvious. It's obscure to others and often it's obscured to us. It's hard for us to see who we are in the Lord Jesus. Your life now is hidden with Christ in God. What Paul is saying here is what Christ has done is now the defining reality in your lives. Your life is hidden with him. But what does that look like? What does it look like for a person to have their life hidden with Christ? That's what we're going to look at in our third point here, a transformed past. Are we to totally ignore our past? Um, are we just to, discount, just to discard everything that has happened in the past? Well, no. Our histories are to be remembered and are to be protected process for truth and learning but they are not given the ultimate defining force what a person gives ultimate defining force to is key for their sense of identity and for us as Christians only Christ is given ultimate defining force giving something else ultimate defining force in the Bible is idolatry and that leads to sin. The Apostle Paul is a great example of someone who was able to process his past and actually have his past reconfigured in the light of who he was in the Lord Jesus. Paul talks about this process in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8 to 10. You'll see behind me. And this is a really important section of the scriptures for understanding identity. Because here the Apostle Paul discusses the resurrection and those who appear to Jesus alive. And there in verse 10, he says, there in verse 10, just missed the verse. He says there in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. See, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is by the grace of God, I am what I am. That was an incredibly freeing statement to the Apostle Paul. He knew of his history. He knew of his past. He knew of his persecution of God's people. And yet he was freed from that past because of the grace of God. When Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, he's not saying, this is just who I am, leave me alone. No, this is not a statement of a person who takes grace lightly. It's a statement describing the experience of one who's had his life turned around, reordered, and given a responsibility, responsibility and a ministry that he never deserved. Paul is saying, in effect, by the grace of God, he's taken 
the deadness of his history, the embarrassment of his history, the shame of his history, and he's taken that very shame and through the gospel he's given him value and life and God is working through him to reorder and reorientate his history. And this should be really the witness of all Christians. We cannot just say, by the grace of God, I am what I am, if we're not pointing to the work of grace in our lives being a transforming power. This is a great testimony with what Paul is saying here. I am what I am by the grace of God. This is a great testimony to the work of God in our lives. Grace that does not change or energise is not grace. It's not even cheap grace. It's not even grace at all. Paul's understanding of himself, his arrogance in the past, his acts in the past were totally reordered and reframed. By all rights, Paul should have been excluded from the church and at least from any form of ministry. But his history was subverted and transformed by the history of Christ. His commitments, his loyalties reframed, his relationship with God reorientated, and all his human relationships transformed. Because this is what happens when the gospel comes into our lives. The gospel is a word about our future. But the gospel is a word about our future because it transforms our past and gives us our present. This is where I'll finish things here. Finally, a transformed present. 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 See, does the identity of does our identity now in Christ totally obliterate our former identity? Some Christians think that it does. Some Christians say that they do not have an identity, that it's just in Christ. But I don't think that's right. I think that's an obvious and gross exaggeration. We do have our own identity. We are the same people. We're the same body before we become a Christian and after we become a Christian. We live in the same culture with the same history. But our identity, our identity is utterly revitalised and redefined and placed under the controlling influence of Christ, which gives us a transformed present. See, that means that we as Christians are people who live out of our histories, but sometimes like Paul, we're people who live in opposition to them. And when the gospel of grace comes into our lives, we're energised, as Paul was, to live in opposition to our histories. See, what would we do with our history? We actually need to understand it. We need to own our own history. Because if we don't own our own history, it will own us. You are not who the past says you are. You are who you choose to become in Christ, by grace and through his spirit, which means that we're not trapped by our past. We can't use our history as an excuse for sin. We're actually going to pick this up in our morning tea conversation. I'm going to be asking Ruth a couple of questions of how she's dealt with 
her past in the Lord Jesus and how she's seen others deal with it poorly and well. See, people are often trapped in their past or vainly attempt to put off life until the future. But you can't live out of your history and you can't live out of your future. Jesus calls us to live in the present, aware of our past, pulled by our future and his glorious return. So that means that we now can be reshaped in the image of God. It may well be the more history that we have, the harder it is to change. But the real issue here is not what history we have, but whose identity we have. Do we identify our lives primary, primarily as those that have been hidden with Christ? See, we must not let stubbornness or arrogance keep us from this transforming work of God in our lives, conforming us to the Lord Jesus. Sometimes our histories have worn us out and disabled us. Life can be hard and burdensome. And yet, even a burdensome history does not get to define us. Our histories are important. But our histories too are given over to the grace of God. Each of us can say, because of the Lord Jesus, by the grace of God I am what I am and this grace was not useless to me. We can realise that this is the most freeing statement. That our identity is with him. Our life is hidden with Christ. And when that happens, we're given the grace and the power to be at work and to be transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to pray. Thanks, Jim.